part of the Bhagavad Gita? Um, in the beginning, like on page, I don't know. Um, when it's talking about like that people sacrifice in different ways, and that you need to sacrifice in this world for like getting freedom, but like what is it exactly like doing? But it's a bit of a different question, so I can also... No, it's a good question yeah. actually. The cons there are, I think you're talking about the third chapter. Um, so the concept there are there is a few words that are that are not sacrifice in Sanskrit. So yeah, one thing you do have to be very conscious is that. When you read texts like the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutras, uh, they are written in, a, in Sanskrit. And a lot of the Sanskrit words, when they are translated, they need to be explained. Okay? They need to be explained because a lot of the times you don't find... It's very difficult to translate a Sanskrit word. How do you translate yoga, for example? You have to write it now. It's not. That's not true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is not. No, no, no. That's an that's a American New Age Neo Yoga translation. It's not. The, the, in, in fact, the, if you. There is a, probably one of the prominent linguists in the world. And could be wrong, but I'm not, but probably the first, or one of the first persons in humanity to, to systematize language and sounds. It's the grammarian, his name is Panini. Panini. Like in Italian. Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but his name is Panini, okay? He wrote a Sanskrit book, a book called the Astadhyaya. Astadhyaya. It's the, like, when you learn Sanskrit, you learn grammar, you learn a lot of things, you know, you learn different textbooks. But this is like the authoritative book on knowledge, of language, not just Sanskrit. Because what's language? Language is a sound in your head that has got meaning. Right now we're speaking in English, so I'm, I am issuing these sounds, and these sounds have got meaning. That's what language is. So for Michaela, Panini means sandwich, because she's been conditioned. Every time she hears these three syllables, Panini, she visualizes a sandwich. I haven't been conditioned to that. Every time I hear Panini, I visualize a, a, a sage who wrote grammar, who wrote about the science of sounds. Okay? This is just... Like, for example, if you study NLP, a lot of NLP is based on, on sounds, how sounds actually program your conscious and your subconscious mind. Okay? So the whole science of mantra is based on, 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 on these principles, how different sound vibrations 
have got different effects in your mind and in your body. I give you an example. What's the universal sound of laughter? Ha ha. Ha, right? Or he he. Or he he. <laughs> or ho ho. Or hu hu. Really? Seven billion people in the world, seven billion people laugh with a syllable ha. Okay? So in Sanskrit, to laugh is hasya, which means to make the sound hum. Okay. So this is from Panini. So the study of sound, the study of language, there are primordial sounds like ha or om. I don't want to go into the whole detail of om because it's very esoteric and very uh, deep. But uh, so mantra is sounds just like, so it works like this. Look. It works like this. If you feel like laughter, if you feel like laughing, you will emit the sound hot. Right? So if I say something funny now, if I make fun of somebody, you see? Mel is already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you start laughing, you go ha ha ha, like that, isn't it? So if you feel like laughter, you will emit the sound hot. But it works the other way around too. If you emit the sound ha, you will start laughing. So there is a famous laughter yoga in India, right? So we can do this now if you want to. Yes. <laughs> so being in Calcutta, you know where there is this circles of laughter yoga. I remember I was, you know, I was walking by one of those parks, huge parks in Victoria Avenue, because Calcutta at one point was the jewel of the British Empire. So the British, they built a lot of parks and a lot of these colonial buildings. Very nice, actually. I was walking in one of those in the morning, I was chanting, and then I saw this group of people, you know, maybe 200. And 200 in Calcutta is a small crowd, right? it's a small <laughs> town, okay? I think last last uh, census they had was 150 million people living there in a city the size of Sydney. Okay, So it's a lot of people there. So they're all uh, hugging in a corner. So I just stood there you know, just to see. And then because in Indian culture, in Bengali culture, they're very respectful of the elder. So they pointed towards this old lady, probably she was 90 something, very fragile to start the laughter circle. So everybody's hugging like that. And then she goes, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and everybody responds, like in a kirtan. Everybody goes, ha, 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 ha. And she kept going, ha, 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 ha. I was stood there just, you know, fascinated. And then, but after 10 minutes, Everybody was like losing it. <laughs> and people were crying. And some people, you, you get a lot of release. Mm -hmm. oh, so a lot of release because, so it works the other way around. When you feel like laughter, you will emit the sound ha. 
and when you, but if you make the sound hard, you will also feel like laughter. So that's how mantra works. Mantra is a particular sound vibration that has got a liberating, tra, the word tra means to liberate or to free, a liberating, a freeing effect in your body and in your mind. Okay, so, so they have like, if you study, that's a great thing about knowledge, you know, I mean Vedic knowledge, they have done this in the laboratory of humanity for thousands of years. And they didn't, um, they didn't do it for money. They didn't set up a business or a corporation. They didn't, they, didn't put a, they didn't put an Instagram post so that you can buy courses. No, they actually sat down the Vedic rishis, the Vedic sages. They sat down and they only asked one question. How can we serve humanity? And then they meditated. And they connected with some knowledge, some truth. And then they brought this down. So, why am I telling you all this? <laughs> to explain to you the different sound vibrations. So according to Panini, so that you know, Kaya, according to Panini, yoga doesn't come, doesn't, I mean, on a simplistic term, it means union. But actually, Panini's definition of, of yoga is Yuj Ye Yoga Samadhau. Which means yoga means focus, attention, concentration. That's a, and, it, and if you study the Yoga Sutras, if you study any serious literature on yoga, they all define yoga like that. In the, in the first, in the second sutra, when Patanjali, no, on the first sutra actually, when, when Patanjali says, Atha Yoga Anushasanam, now we're gonna talk about yoga. Vyasa, who is his main commentaries, he takes yoga, he takes this definition, yoga samadhau, and then he expands on it. The whole first sutra, the whole definition is yoga, means attention, focus, concentration. And then if you read the entire Yoga Sutras, it takes that flow. Nowhere in the Yoga Sutras, they talk about union. Well, yeah, because I was going to learn how to read and speak Sanskrit. And they said that the meaning of each, of each word is so, like, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's massive because of the concept. So yoga is not really like yoga. Yoga is a system. It's like, look, I often, I often give these examples in my workshops. For example, you see language, what language does is language expresses the level of thought of a particular society. That's what language does. Kahil Gibran, in one of his poems, he says, you know, words are the crumbs of the feast of thought. Words are the crumbs of the feast of thought. So you think, you realize, you conceptualize, and words try to express that, but words are actually very limited. Okay? But when you look at it, uh, 
language is actually the expression of a particular, of the level of thought, or the level of progress, or the level of technology of a particular society. You know, I often give this example. How do you translate Google? Let's say into Sanskrit. Twenty years ago, twenty-five years ago, thirty years ago, this word—I mean, there was a word Google in the in the English language, but it doesn't mean what it means now. What does Google mean now? To search, right? To investigate. So if I if I want to see Mel, what what did she do before she came to Australia? I'll Google her, see if I can find something. Have you Googled me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know your surname. I'll give it to you. <laughs> Maybe Facebook friends. So if you're going to date with somebody, you Google that person. <laughs> Figure out. He's not a psycho or a sociopath or something, right? <laughs> so when you say I'm going to Google somebody or I Google this, it means that I, how you call it, uh, I did some investigation, right? So you can translate Google as investigation, but it's not really accurate. Because Google means to search or to investigate in a particular context, which is the internet. So in order to translate Google into another language, that society that issued that language must have the internet. In order to have internet, you need to have computers. In order to have computers, you need electricity. So society that actually did not have electricity could not possibly have a world that will replicate the world Google. So you can see Google actually expresses the level of technology of a particular society. So the same thing happened in the Sanskrit language. There are so many words in the Sanskrit language that express the level of thought. You know, like the West specialized, specializes a lot in external technologies, whereas the East specialized a lot in internal technologies to go on the inside. Okay? So yoga is one of those words. So, to get back to Victoria's question. So you will find these words, these two words, that will be translated as sacrifice. So one is Jagya, which can be translated as an offering. One is tapas, not the Spanish tapas. <laughs> Which means austerity, voluntary austerity. Sorry, what letter is that? Like ja. Yeah, ja. e, y, e, j. It's an n with a with a wiggle on top. Like enya. And enya, yes, exactly. So when they talk about sacrifice in the Bhagavad Gita, they talk, if you're talking about the third chapter, the, the, the third chapter talks about sacrifice as an offering. But what does it mean? 
you do something, whatever it is that you do, but you text your ego aside. So you don't do it for selfish reasons, you just do it as an effort. Okay. What happens when you do this? It removes attachment. So actually your, your question is quite on the money. Yagya removes attachment from the particular activity because now you're doing it as an offering. You're not doing it because you're thinking you're going to enjoy this or I'm going to be rich or I'm going to do this. No, you do it as an offering. You do it as a service. You do it as a contribution. So what you are sacrificing, so you see, it's a little bit tricky in, in English, but it's actually a good translation because the act of doing something as, as an offering, it means you're sacrificing your ego. You're sacrificing your selfishness. So when you read in the, so a text from the, from the third chapter that you are probably reading or have read, says, Yagyartat karmanoni atra. Uses this word yagya. Means whatever you do should be done as a sacrifice. Should be done as an offering. Sacrifice your ego, sacrifice your selfishness, sacrifice your attachment, and simply do it as an offering. Then the activity that you do as a sacrifice will free you, will remove pain, will remove suffering, will remove misery. The same activity done with selfishness, done with ego, done with attachment will actually give you pain. So it's not the activity, it's the consciousness that you put in the activity that is going to determine the quality of your life. So if you're reading the third chapter, which is, I'm pretty sure that's where you found that word. That's where actually, that's the meaning of it. It may seem, it is not, but even in the Bible, huh? even in the Bible, when they talk about sacrifice, it, it actually, if you study the commentaries on the Bible, for example, the, you know, Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas or Aquinas? Aquinas, in English it's Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas, you know, great theologian, German actually, you know. He, in his commentaries on the Bible, he talks a lot about this too. The story of Abraham, when God asked him to sacrifice his own son. A lot of, you know, nowadays a lot of liberals, a lot of left-wingers actually, they take that story to prove how the Bible is barbaric. How can God ask you to sacrifice your own son? What kind of God is it? But if you actually read the story and read the commentaries, read the meaning, you know, the concept of sacrifice, the concept of putting your own selfishness aside, is probably one of the highest concepts in human life. It represents the highest evolution of consciousness, actually. You know, the concept of sacrificing the present for the future, for example. 
when you study it, like, of course, Abraham didn't kill his son. When he was about to lift the knife, and an angel came and held his hand. I said, okay, okay. You're proving that you're surrendering. You don't have to kill him. But the concept of sacrifice is what actually the concept of putting your own selfishness aside is what will actually decide your evolution as a human being. Selfishness or non-selfishness. And, and you will find that in every aspect of your life. You will find that in your work, for example. So when you work, when you do service, you know, you have to sacrifice distraction. If you are the kind of person that can sacrifice distraction, but your mind is not all over the place, but you can actually focus, the quality of your work is so much higher. And the universe reciprocates with that. The world takes work that has got a lot of attention, that has got a lot of focus. In other, in other words, work that has a person that has sacrificed distractions, you know, takes that quality of work, and automatically the universe will reciprocate with you. It will give you art. Okay? In love. For example, you want to have a good relationship. You sacrifice selfishness. Of course, you have to be in a relationship with another person that also sacrifices selfishness. Then you have a really good relationship. In every area of your life, yagya, the act of sacrifice, the act of removing selfishness, is, is actually the science quality. So in all these stories, and all these principles in the Bhagavad Gita, it's actually extremely practical. It's a guide for life. It's not, you know, and it is a very high guide for life. It's not focused on you. It's focused on something higher than you. Okay? Did you raise your hand, Tash? Sacrificing the distraction, sacrificing the short-term pleasure of the present. Yeah. Like right now, you're sacrificing something. You could be in your room, just how you call it. I don't know what you do in your leisure time. <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you could be in your room sleeping now, right? Just cause it up. But you're sacrificing that. So you're sacri I don't mean sacrifice the entire present. I mean sacrificing the, the distractions, the pleasures of the present for a higher goal. Yeah. And then I was always told that like proper love, like love, anything but love is an illusion. It's been like something I've read in a lot of like philosophy books or you know, self-help, whatever. Anything but love or anything that's not love is pain and suffering. You know? It's not meant to be sacrificed. 
There is no man to say. Yeah, no. like if there's sacrifice, you have to be in pain. It's not really love. I don't agree. Okay. I think love has a lot of pain. But is it real love if it's got pain then? In this world, yes. I mean, it sounds nice to have love without pain, but I don't think it's, it's real. When you love, the concomitant, you know the word concomitant? The sequential consequence of love, pain is embedded. If you're gonna love somebody, you're 19, right? Yeah. I'll give you an advice. You have to be prepared to experience pain. Yeah. If you're thinking you're gonna love without pain, you're gonna crash. Which you hold your joy is filled with half soul. No, Khalil Gibran's whole poem on love is when love beckons you, follow him. Though, no, what is it? When, no, when, when love yields, uh, calls you, yields to him, though the sword hidden among his feathers may wound you. So is the is it what? Is love what? That it this comes with you? Yeah. Pain. <laughs> Pain is all part of the experience. Pain is good. That's a 19-year-old girl question. <laughs> <laughs> all the veterans, all the people that have gone through, they go, okay. Never to have loved it, never to have loved it all. That's what makes it even better. No, but you see, so this, that's actually a really good question, right? So love is, look, it's like, so love, it's actually the greatest form of juggling. It's the latest form of putting your selfishness aside. So if you can love for attachment, you can actually love because you want to enjoy. In fact, most of the time, that's why we enter into a relationship. Because, okay, I'm going to feel good. Yeah. Right? But actually, that, again, that consciousness of doing something for your own pleasure, because the, the very nature of love, it's, it's, it's like this, love. Many things in, in the world makes you feel very vulnerable. Even work makes you feel very vulnerable. Let's say I give, I give you something to do, or I give Stefania something to do. Give her a project. Okay? By giving her that project, I know I'm making her vulnerable. What if she doesn't do a good job? What if she fails? You know? What if it doesn't meet her expectations? There's vulnerability there. She's exposing herself now. You know, she's exposing her ability. She's exposing her intelligence. She's exposing everything. Anything that you do, you're actually very vulnerable when you're interacting with the world. Okay? That vulnerability makes you open to pain. 
if you truly love, there is nothing that will make it more vulnerable than being in love with someone. So maybe only love is painful if it's selfish love? That's what I'm trying to find. No, no, even if it's unselfish. It still comes with pain. If it's just like... It's just that it is the, it is the nature of vulnerability to feel pain. It's the nature of vulnerability. Look at it this way, right? Okay. When you're vulnerable, it's like cooking, you know, I don't know, cooking without a shirt. <laughs> okay. We're going to fry food without a shirt. <laughs> Look at love is. It's a kitchen metaphor. I've done that. I've made it once I made a hot soup without a shirt. So how does that have a relationship with detachment then? Vulnerability and detachment. Very good. It's like this, look. You know what? Why, and I'm, we're talking about romantic love, okay? okay? You know why romantic love makes you, makes you so vulnerable? Because you, are, you expose your identity, who you are, in the rawest of forms. Okay? The rejection of your identity in the raw form is what gives you the deepest pain. Okay? So you're exposing yourself to that. Okay. So what if you expose yourself to that with a stronger identity? What if you expose yourself to that brownness with the identity that this doesn't define me? There's still pain but you will be able to transcend that pain. And in that pain you will grow. You'll become stronger. You'll become a better person. You can even connect with God. That's actually Cahill Gibran's definition of love. It says, for even as love cramps you, so shall he crucify you. Even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning. Mm -hmm. Even as he ascends to your highest branch and caresses the leaves that quiver under the sun, so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth. And he goes on, like sheaves of corn, he gathers you unto himself. He threshes you to make, it, make you naked. He sifts you to free you from your husks. He needs you till you are blind. Then he assigns you to his sacred fire so you may become sacred bread in God's sacred feast. So that's the purpose of love. Pain. Not pain. <laughs> It's actually growth, <laughs> evolution. <laughs>
If you enter into a relationship with the purpose of growing, then that pain is the same pain of going to the gym. Makes you stronger, makes you healthier. But if you enter into a relationship because you want validation, because you want to be defined, you know, because all the because you are dependent on it, then that pain is not the pain of growth. That's the pain of eating too much and getting a stomachache and getting sick. I have a question. So where's the fine line between you entering that, you know, being vulnerable and being vulnerable and, you know, sort of being so detached to the point that it, like it can come across as like you're even close, like you're closed up, like you've got like a cold heart even though you're opening up, but you're sort of like taking care because you already like You know, you but, say that, you, but that is not vulnerability. Well, you you are at a certain point, like you still give up, like you still give it up, like all no, but of if it. You give, <laughs> but you know, if you if you if you if you are vulnerable, you are exposed. There is no protection. The very definition of vulnerability is that there is no protection. Yeah, but like. Like, where's that s small line where you can be very open, but still, when these things happen, just sort of be like, oh, like, like sort of no, whatever. I think what you're asking is this. Is it possible to be detached without being indifferent? Mm. Look. In anything, actually, it comes to your identity. How codependent you are, how dependent you are on external validation. In anything, actually. Okay? So someone can enter into a relationship with a strong identity. And a big, a big I mean, not a big part, probably the main thing in a, in a strong identity is self-love. Okay? So if you have a lot of self-love, you enter into a relationship, you become very vulnerable, and the relationship doesn't work out. You're going to experience pain. But that pain is the same pain as going to the gym. It's a pain of growth. Okay? A person with a strong identity is the same thing as somebody in the gym. You know those people that lift 100 kilos? Like, it hurts. But they love it. Even though it hurts like anything, it's pain. Yeah, but how do you not become like a pessimist in that way? Sort of like, you, like you entering sort of knowing that that can happen and it's gonna hurt and you're completely. But that's not a pessimist. That's being a realist. Okay, I guess it's just more because people say like you can't enter into a relationship if you think it's gonna end. But then if you do the opposite, which is sort of you think it's gonna end, so you kind of. I get think it's ready. the opposite. I think one of the worst things you can do is enter into a relationship thinking it's gonna be a turn. Yeah. Sorry, no, 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 no,
But, but that's how it works. It's the same thing as living in life. If you think you're going to live forever, like if you live your life thinking that you're going to live forever, mm. you're going to do stupid things. Yeah. Actually accepting the temporariness of your life will increase the quality of your life. Because if, if I know that I can die at any moment, not only know, it's an axiomatic truth. It's, an ax it's a self-evident truth. That's one of the things I love about personal growth or personal transformation from the Vedic perspective. Because it begins with reality. The reality is life is temporary and unpredictable. Mm. If you don't accept that, okay, you're setting yourself up for illusion, which in Sanskrit they call Maya. Okay? So you, you have to accept the temporariness and the unpredictability of life. Then you can start focusing on the important things in life. Like Tash said, love. Yes. Focus on the quality of it. What do you do? How do you relate to people? Is it worth it not loving somebody as a friend even? What to speak of in a relationship? because he or she doesn't do exactly what you want to do? Mm. Is it worth it living all this drama? Mm. We're all going to die anyway. <laughs> really, is it worth it? Yeah. You look at every single drama in your life. You look at every time you, made, you became upset and you went, oh, you know? That's a very Peter thing to do, you know? They obsess. This person talked to me, you know? I'm going to get him or get it in this particular way. Sometimes you go for weeks on that. Is it worth it? I'm going to die anyway. Right? So you accept the temporariness. You accept the unpredictability. And then you focus on the important things. Okay? So it's the same thing in love. I'm not advocating you going to a relationship thinking this is going to end. I'm not saying that. But you have to accept the possibility that it's not going to work. Mm. But nevertheless, but once you accept that possibility, if you're really into growth, if you're really into evolution, then you give your best, then you grow. And one of the things a relationship teaches you, any kind of relationship, but especially a romantic relationship, is how selfish you are. How self-centered you are. How focused on meeting your needs you are. So if you have that kind of awareness, you say, all right, I'm going to be less selfish now. Mm. If you do that, if you, are, if you are in a relationship and you're, you're actually trying to, uh, trying to work on lessening the selfishness factor, you have the best chance, and if the other person does that too, actually, there has to be reciprocity. That's one of the important things in a relationship. Reciprocity is important. If there is no reciprocity, then you are in an abusive or exploitative relationship. Mm. But your level of consciousness should be such that you choose that reciprocity. If there is no reciprocity, you should get out of that relationship. Mm. So, but if there is reciprocity, if both persons are reciprocating and both persons are working on, on diminishing the selfishness, it's Nine, no, 
probably, yeah, never give it 100%, but 99.9999% that that relationship is gonna be till death do you apart. personal dharma, your occupational dharma, you work, you work on all the dharmas, right? You work on the universal dharma, which is contribution, which is service. Okay? And then, because of that, you get good art, you get good wealth. If you have focus on dharma, you're going to use this in the right way. You're going to spend your wealth in the right way. A lot of the times, you're going to give charity, you know, or you're going to use it in the way. I wouldn't worry too much about what to do <laughs> you know. It comes, if you focus on this, if you focus on personal dharma, if you focus on growth. I read an interview, Warren Buffett. No, I actually saw the interview. You can look it up on YouTube. Pretty interesting. And uh, they asked him, you know, what's the secret to your wealth? Because he's, I mean, at one point he was the, the world's richest man. I think now he's number three or number four. You know what he said? I thought he was going to give, okay, first of all, I thought he was going to give like a financial, you know, you do this, you follow this strategy. You know, because he just made his money on the stock market. And then, but then I thought, no, no, he may give, you know, some other answer. But you know what he said when they asked him? He said, unconditional love. And then the, the interviewer asked, her, asked him again, you know, she was like a bit shocked. She goes, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, unconditional love. I said, when I left home, you know, to launch my career, to do all, my, all his stuff, his father called. He always had a really good relationship with his father. But his father called him and said, whatever you do, whatever failures, whatever success, whatever you have, I'm always going to love you with all my heart. And here he had a ranch, and there is always a house here for you, no matter what. But he said it so deeply that throughout his life, when Warren Buffett, he, you know Warren Buffett made his first million dollars after the age of 50. Many people think he was very successful, actually, till he was 50, he failed in every business. 
<laughs> he did. But through every failure that he had, through all the downs in his life, he always remembered his father. Like I have a shelter there. I have someone that loves me unconditionally. No matter who I am, no matter what I do. And he told the interviewer, that's the secret to what. To have that unconditional. So that's done. And that gives him, you know, that kind of love gives you so much strength to just keep going, to just keep going, to just keep going. Because one of the things that you're going to find in the execution of your dharma, because you're interacting with the world, there will be so many obstacles. Oof, so, especially the path he chose, the path of business that he chose. It's an up and down, failure all the time, but it almost in anything that you do. But if you have that unconditional support, that unconditional love, and then the next thing is his wife also gave him that. There is also a Yale, an, an interview in Yale University where he's speaking to all the students on economics, right? On economy. And then somebody also asked him, you know, some young whippersnipper asked him, you know, so what's the secret to, to wealth? You know what he said? Find a good wife, find a good partner. And then everybody laughed. And he said, I'm serious. <laughs> so that's kind of defined. And then he went on to explain about love again. I'm thinking, okay, different psychologies, Dharma. And he plans to give away 99%. He's already given up in charity 50% of his wealth. Over $60 billion. What was his name? Warren Buffett. And he plans to, he does it he, to his, he's got two children, I think. He's going to give them only $1 billion each. Not that bad. <laughs> 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 to have your inheritance. The rest, he plans to give it all away in charity. They're not too much money to give these guys more than a billion dollars is too much for them. They should work for But his son is taking the one billion dollars, he's already given half of it in charity. So don't worry. When you have out, <laughs> you're gonna know what to do. Yeah, yeah, it's compounding. It's very interesting for them. I mean, I'm citing this example so that you know it's a different psychology. So you will find, you see, this is one thing you will find in Vedic knowledge. When I look at it, and you have to also take away a lot of the, the ritualistic things, you have to take a lot of the external, traditional things. You just look at the universal principle. People follow the universal, for, for example, I can see in the case of Warren Buffet, it's a karma yogi. For him, it's activity, it's his connection. So you can follow, even though he's, I'm sure, maybe he's read the guitar or not, I don't know. But he may not consciously do it, but he's actually doing it. You'll find a lot of these people are like that. I've met a lot of people in South America, you know, very religious, very pious, devout Catholics, very honest. Their grandfather, they build their fortunes like that. Dharma Nartha. Okay? Any other question?
Anybody? Yes. Flash. You're too young to have an existential question. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, go on. Is there more, is there, or does, um, I don't know, the Bhagavad Gita or something like that have an explanation? Is there more bad than good in the world? Because I felt since I was a kid that the suffering outweighs, not even in my life, but in other people's lives, it seemed like there's more suffering than there is love and happiness in the world. And is there, on an energetic level, is there something going on? Well, a text from the Ishapanishad goes like this. Om Purna Madha Purna Hidam Purnat Purna Gachate Purna Purna Madhaya Purna Eva Vasisate Which means this word is, as it is, is perfect. Sounds a little bit contradictory, but it is not. So if there is a thief, there's a policeman, you know? Where there is selfishness, you'll find charity. So you will always find these dualities in the world. There's never gonna be a time when there is only, how you call it, there is only happiness. But there's also not gonna be a time when there's only pain. You'll find these forces always like this. It is bad. Even with like the mental health, like basic pandemic, in like this world right now, this time, maybe not history before, but I don't know a single person my age that is not being depressed or got anxiety or PTSD. Or, so You're even right. with all the mental health, like right now. But look at it this way, right? So compare this pandemic to the previous pandemic. The Spanish flu. So what's the worst thing you can do in this pandemic? You can be locked up watching Netflix. But you have all your needs taken care of. It's not that bad if you look at it. However, there is always like, okay, right now, yes, it is true that your generation suffers from a lot of mental uh, you know, suffering. But there's been mental suffering in the world since it started. Okay. 70s, 80s, 50s. Uh, you go, if you start analyzing actually, it says that there is not much data. Right now there is data. So they can tell you, you know, 75% of the people that commit suicide are males. And they are males who are frustrated because they don't feel successful. A big percentage of that is that 60%. And it goes on, goes on like that. You know? So now, right now, there's a lot of that. But when you look at it, you know, look at it at Europe, in, before, in the, during the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Revolution, the Second World War, the First World War, the rise of communism, blah, China, India, all that stuff. You will always find that the mental affliction is always there. But right now, the mental affliction is different. The mental affliction is you have everything that you could possibly want, yet you're still unhappy. What the hell is wrong with you? Really? Before the mental, not you. <laughs> Before the mental affliction was on another level, different, right? You have to go to war, you become traumatized, you do this, you do that, 
or some dictator took over your country, they killed your parents. Like, there's a lot of always mental affliction. Always like that. Look at it, I was, I was looking at the, I was reading a little bit of history about the Russian Revolution. Man, what Stalin did, those guys they did. Yeah, yeah. Messed up. Imagine somebody coming and killing your parents. I mean, somebody coming to offer and killing all the parents and just leaving a lot of orphans there. That's what they did. So what's a generation of So it's always been there. So that's why when you study, that's why even though it's written so many thousand years ago, when you study the Bhagavad Gita, it's a truth that is eternal. That it corresponds to humanity. It doesn't, it is not a self-help book. You understand? It is not a subjective, relative self-help book. It's actually something that tells you the truth. Hey, this is existence. Sometimes I think, when I read the Bhagavad Gita, I mean, Krishna was thinking of the year 2021. When you look at it, you know, but actually no, it's throughout the ages. So there is always a balance. So right now, for example, we live in this age, it's called Kali Yuga. You know, but within this age, even though there is a lot of decadence, there is also a lot of spirituality flourishing. You're 19, you're sitting here trying to inquire about life. So right now your dharma would be, hey, you learn, you grow, you progress, you advance, so that you can do something, you can contribute to the world. And that will create balance over some 19-year-old that is not doing anything. There's always balance. For example, last year, almost 90% of the world has been drinking water. Like 20 years ago, there was only drinking water in 20%, 25% of the world. That's a big advancement. It's a big, it's a lot of good things.
Okay. So we'll. What's the time? So today, session is on forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> Have you Robert Sobota book? Yes. Okay. You need it? Yes. <laughs> okay. So you've got, I'll read to you. Diseases arise when identity is afflicted and immunity weakens. The Sanskrit word for immunity is Vyadikshamatra. The Sanskrit word for immunity is Vyadikshamatra, which literally means forgiveness of disease. You retain your health only so long as you're willing to forgive your stresses, shrug off adversity, and adapt to new situations. Resistance to change always impedes the workings of your immunity. An old Sanskrit proverb tells tells us, Kshama Cha Janani, the essence of mother, motherly love is forgiveness. Damage to the identity predisposes us to disease by weakening or innate forgiveness. interesting actually when you talk about the immune system and health right how the word for immune system in Sanskrit includes the word forgiveness 
So forgiveness, the ability to forgive, but more important, the ability to forgive yourself is actually vital to your physical health. Okay. So you have got three levels of forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. And forgive life. Why forgive life? It's because things are going to happen that you actually have no explanation for, have no understanding for. There's no reason, really. It seems unfair. Somebody that you love is going to die, and you don't know why. And it's going to hurt you. And it give you pain. So you have to be able to forgive that. You have to be able to let go of that kind of pain. So when we're talking about forgiving life, we're talking about forgiving the unpredictable or, for, or forgiving the uncontrollable. You have got no control over that. I told you, I don't know if I told you once, but I remember I was giving a seminar like this. And this woman was sitting on the front. She was pregnant. You know? Very, very beautiful looking girl. You know? And every time I was talking about this, she was crying. She cried actually the entire workshop. But I could see she was very sincere, you know. Like really wanted to listen and then when I did the meditation, I could see it really affected her. And she told me, yeah, when she was 18, she met the love of her life. And it was a relationship of growth, of spirituality, of everything. Dharma, art, karma, most everything was there. And she was eight months pregnant when she met me, or seven months pregnant, eight months. And he, had, he died in a car accident when she, just a few months ago. And she's still, she's still pregnant. And she, she couldn't understand, but when we were talking about this, forgiving life, she understood. She said, okay, I understand. There are things I have no explanation for. There's no explanation. And she was angry at God. She was like, that is cruel. But actually, you have to be able to forgive because there is always something behind everything. And even if you don't understand, do not understand it, you've got to have the faith that there is something there. You have to be able to forgive life for the unknown, for that which is beyond your control. You know, acceptance? Yes. You accept it. But then, when there is anger, you have to forgive. When there is pain, you have to forgive. Okay? So that's forgiving life. Forgiving others. So life can bring you pain, right? 
but other people can also give you pain. And this is the ironic thing when it comes to forgiving others, is that pain, the people that can give you the most pain are the people that you love the most. The more you love someone, the more that person can give you the most pain. And it is going to happen, not to put negative thoughts in your head, but it is going to happen. The people that love you are going to hurt you. Not intentionally. 99% of the people who love you, if they hurt you, they have done it with the best intentions of heart, actually. But it will hurt. So your ability to forgive others is crucial in life. The ability to forgive is crucial in life. If you walk around life without forgiving, just carry all this pain in your heart. So the ability to forgive others is, is, is important, it's crucial. It's like, and the ability to forgive yourself too. Because you're going to mess up. You're going to think, you're going to do things that are going to be wrong. You're going to break your own standards. You're going to act against your own values. At one point in your life, you're going to give in your darker thoughts, your darker side. It's going to happen. Okay. And you're going to hurt others too. Part of you. You have to be able to forgive yourself for all your wrongdoings, for all your mischiefs, intentionally or unintentionally. So forgiveness is detachment in action. That's what forgiveness is. This is the real test of detachment. Not the fact that you live in a monastery, not the fact that you can, you know, sleep on the floor. Yeah, all that is great. But the ability to let go of the pain that others have caused you, the ability to let go of the pain that you yourself have caused yourself, that's the measure of true detachment. And this is where your spiritual growth lies. You have to understand one thing. Forgiveness benefits not the person that is forgiven, but the person that forgives. Think about this. The benefit of forgiveness is for the person who forgives, not the person who is forgiven. Because when you forgive, you let go of so much weight. You let go of so much that is blocking your heart. Okay. Any questions so far? No? We're okay? So forgiveness requires a lot of prana, actually. A lot of energy. 
to let go. Okay. So to forgive others and to forgive life is very strong. So we're not going to practice this, at least not today. But we'll practice this forgiving yourself. Okay. There is one understanding that will help in forgiveness. And that understanding is this. Whatever you did... <coughs> <laughs> so you have to understand this whatever you did at that particular moment you did it with the resources the internal resources that you had at that particular moment you did it with that level of consciousness you did it with your belief your understanding at that particular moment so a lot of the times you have to forgive yourself for looking for love in the wrong places. A lot of the times we have all, I myself have looked, have looked for love in the wrong place. And I've hurt myself in that process. You have to forgive yourself for doing that. A lot of the times you look for happiness in the wrong place. Because you had an understanding. If I do this, this is going to make me happy. You didn't have a bad intention. You just had a wrong understanding or a limited understanding. And then you looked for happiness in the wrong place. You looked for love in the wrong place. You made bad decisions. You made bad turns. So whatever we did that have hurt us, or even that have hurt others, we did it because we had a limited understanding. So you have to be kind to yourself for that. You cannot condemn yourself. A lot of the time we were looking for pleasure in the wrong places. If you ever had any kind of addiction to some substance, because you were looking for pleasure, for happiness, for relief in the wrong place. All that struggle. So that's it. that has to be your understanding. Whatever you did, whatever we did, it is because of a limited understanding that we have. So you have to forgive yourself for that. Not condemn yourself for that not reject yourself for that, not abandon yourself for that. But just put compassion there. Put understanding there. Put love there. Just imagine the person that you love the most in the world. That you truly love. And this works a lot when you have a son or a child, a daughter, you know. Let's say you brought something that is very valuable and he or she breaks it. 
and you can see that he or she is really dependent, is really sad because that mistake was made. If you love your child, you're going to go, it's okay. You're not going to go and punish and hold it against your child for the rest of her life. If you did that, then something is wrong with you mentally. But if you actually love the child, you're going to go, it's alright, I forgive you. Because when you love someone, you forgive them. So if you love yourself, then you forgive yourself. So it works the other way around too. If you love yourself, you forgive yourself. But if you forgive yourself, then that also develops self-love. Okay? So, the ability to forgive yourself for all the mistakes, for all the wrong turns, for all the bad decisions, for all the even, for hurting other people, the ability to do that, it's crucial in life. Any questions? When you mentioned Yadikshamatma, Yadikshamatma, the immune system, did that mean that all the grief and anger symptom that happens with that create disease in our body? Yes. So by forgiving ourselves you, and others, we can actually... So a traditional, a good Ayurvedic doctor, when you go to him or to her, with an immune disease problem, or with any disease actually, but especially diseases like cancer, you know, that really don't have a mechanistic cure, the first thing they will do is they will do shamatra. They will teach you the ability to forgive yourself. They will guide you on that. And then they'll give you the herbs. And then they'll give you all the treatment that you need to do, you know, diet and treatment and all that. But for example, one person that, even Svoboda, that book, it says, you know, that the medicine, the physical medicine, the herbal medicines work the best when there is the internal medicine, when there is the forgiveness. Okay. Brandon Bay, have you heard of Brandon Bay? Who's heard of Brandon Bay? You should look it up. Really interesting. Brandon, B R A N D O N, Bay, B A Y. She has a system called the Journey. And uh, so I read her story, I read her book, quite interesting actually. She used to be Tony Anthony Robbins' health speaker. So if you go to Tony Robbins seminars, the last day of Tony Robbins seminars, they talk about health. They talk actually about vegan diet and all that. You know, they show you very graphically what meat does to your body. It's really freaky, actually. You know, incidentally, Tony Robbins at one point gave up that diet and started eating fish. He became a you know, do you call those people that eat fish? Pescatarian. He became a pescatarian. But a few years ago I read that his body became really toxic because of eating the fish. 
you know, because of, what is it? There's a metal, mercury. He became mercury poison. So now he had to give up his fish, go back to vegetables. <laughs> but she was, Tony Robbins, the one that used to do all the presentations on, on speaking, on health. And she used to live on juices, organic, with grass, all that stuff, all the healthy stuff, right? All the cashew cakes and all that, no sugar, not this, no that, blah, blah, blah. You know? Alejandro's excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But then, after doing this, she developed a tumor in her stomach, the size of a melon. You know? And she did all the treatments and all that, and nothing was working. Till one day she, she sat down and she went into a meditation and she realized that the reason why she was not healing is because of the shame that she had. Like how I said that I am such a health proponent, I've done this, I've done this, and how do I get a tumor myself? And I'm talking to these thousands of people about health and healthy eating and I'm walking around with a tumor. So she developed this system in which you, and then she realized, okay, you know, what should I do? So she developed this system of journey, which is actually a system of forgiveness, where you go deep into your memories, and then she figured out that once when she was six years old, you know, her parents left her alone on the beach, and she was really scared, and she never forgave her parents because of that. So she was carrying that in her stomach. So all the doctors didn't know what to do, so she did all this forgiveness, letting go. She caused her process a journey. She did all that. And in one month, she didn't feel anything. And then when she went to the doctors and she did the scanning, okay, they found nothing. So that's her story, right? But the interesting thing is that when she started giving seminars and workshops and all that, and she started getting people through her system of journey to forgive themselves, a lot of people that went to her seminars with cancer and all of them became healed. Their, their medicine actually worked. The therapy or the, you know, or the medicine that they were taking. What's her medicine? I'm not talking about natural medicine. Just your regular chemicals. They started working and they started getting rid of the tumor. So yes, Ayurveda has got it right. It begins here. That guilt, that shame, that anger, that pain can, you know, metastasize into a, a disease. So, uh, One second, somebody else raise their hands. Yes. I don't understand the, the necessity of forgiveness of one who has said, in the mistake I made in my life, because I was in that, but I Yeah, you have forgiven yourself. But some people don't do that. Most people don't do that. Most people look at their mistakes. So that's, okay, you could say that that is on an intellectual level. So you can do that on an intellectual level, right? But you also have to do that on an emotional level. A lot of the times, you carry guilt 
because of the mistake. Yeah, if you are grateful, then there is no shame. If you are grateful, then you are not carrying guilt. Yes. So you have forgiven yourself, actually. Automatically. So the idea is that you are aware whether there is guilt there. That's it. Okay. So you are an advanced soul. You are able to forgive yourself quickly. That's <laughs> no, okay. Doesn't happen to everyone. Okay. Uh. I was just going to say about there's a tremendous specialist called Gabby Martin, and he's worked with people. He's a doctor. A psychologist. He, yeah, and he has figured out that people have specific illnesses because of their specific mental disposition. So, like people who have like ALS. lack of love so you see at the end you, we talk about guilt we talk about shame we talk about all that stuff right but what this is what guilt does and what shame does is that disconnects you from love so if you are what, what's the definition of shame really shame is that when you walk around in the world, not feeling love that people give you because of what you think you're worth. Okay. Some animals, it works on a lot of lack of love because they don't really feel shame of you. But they do feel lack of love. They do feel. Have you told that there's sometimes animals take on humans' pain as well? Could be. It's a very sensitive animal. But it is. But also, okay. But also, a lot of this in auto, a lot of these autoimmune diseases are not solely mental. There is also a physical component to it. Like if you eat too much toxic food, you are going to get an autoimmune disease problem, even though you may be very positive. So, so in that case, let's say if you have a lot of self-love, but you have just a bad habit then the medicine will work quite efficiently. So that's why on some people, it, it, just the medicine works very well. But on some people, it doesn't. So even though this is anecdotal, there is really, the data on this is very difficult because how can you measure somebody's level of forgiveness on a statistical way? The, one of the common perspectives is that yes, if you work on the forgiveness, letting go of the guilt, of the shame, it does, affect how your body uh, receives the treatment.
Any other questions? actually practice in the depth of your heart, your work will have influence. Still it may not have influence on everybody 100%. That depends on your level of prana. Somebody who has got a lot of prana, their work has got a lot of influences in it. People, some leaders in the world, they have said something, just said something with a lot of prana, and boom, that has changed the world. You listen to Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech. Still on YouTube, you can listen to it. You can still feel when he goes, ah, I have a dream. You know, he, when he puts, 40 years later, you still listen to it, you feel that prana. So that's also important. But your own example, your own life, that's what gives power. You cannot tell somebody to forgive themselves unless you actually do practice self-forgiveness to the deepest level. So if you want to have influence, that's what it comes to. Any other question? Okay, five minutes break to the toilet, and we're back.
takes a lot of prana. That's why I, I, I won't do forgiving of others. It takes a lot of preparation. A lot. It takes a lot of prana to actually go in there. Theoretically, you can do it. And that's 5%. 95% is when you actually, from your body, in the depth of your body, you just blend it. And you'll feel it. I've also done that with my dad. To forget it. Kind of work that it takes. It's not easy. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>
Okay, we'll start. But for this, you're going to have to put your tea aside, okay? <laughs> yes, yeah. So I'll give you just a, a little bit of time. No, drink your tea. But then... What's it say? Take away. I'll put it away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Becoming experts at Miki translation. <laughs> I always understand. Okay. So. So. Forgiveness takes a lot of prana. Okay. You have to understand this. A lot of prana to let go. So we're going to practice prana, but we're going to use laughter as prana. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so excited. <laughs> okay. So if you're not feeling that great today, if you're feeling a little sad today, or what if in general you feel a little bit morose? What laughter does is overrides your internal dialogue. Okay? So I'll guide you on this. <laughs> I've already laughed so much today. <laughs> nice. Okay. So just sit up straight. Close your eyes. No, no, don't close your eyes yet. So the first exercise. I'm gonna time it. The first exercise is you laugh in your mind. <laughs> so you're gonna close your eyes and you're gonna in your mind you're gonna make this mental sound. Ha, ha, however you laugh. Either ha 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 ki, ki, ki. However you laugh, you just laugh in your mind, okay? So what you're doing is you're actually overriding the sounds that are in your head. So if you, if you have negative sounds in your head, if you're stressed, if you're anxious, this will override you, okay? So close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Exhale. Another deep breath. Exhale. And another deep breath. Exhale. So before you begin, you have to understand this. This is a practice of surrender. This is a practice of putting whatever is going in your head aside. Just freeze it there for a minute. And just focus on the present moment. So again, take a, take a deep inhale, take a deep breath. Exhale. Take a deep breath again. <laughs> Exhale. We haven't begun yet, Alejandro. <laughs> Take a deep breath again. Exhale. Close your eyes. Remain seated. And in your head, in your mind, you begin laughing. Ha, 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 ha. In your head. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Louder. Ha, 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 ha. Continue. Just continue making ha 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 ha. And feel that vibration all over your body. Louder. Ha ha ha.
Louder. Ha, ha, ha. Just surrender to the process. 20 seconds more. Louder. Ha, 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 ha. Louder. Louder. And take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. And take a deep inhale again. Exhale. And you can open your eyes. So on some of you this may be easy, on some of you it may be difficult. You're actually going to encounter a lot of what your internal dialogue is at this moment. Okay? Sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes you will encounter there. It's okay. All you have to do is you have to keep, keep going. Ha, 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 ha. In your head. But we're going to add one more element. We're going to add the face. <coughs> <laughs> okay? So you're going to close your eyes. And you're gonna make. <laughs> you're gonna take these corners of your mouth and you're gonna put it high. Okay, like an emoticon. Okay, so your face has got 82 muscles. Okay, you use the muscles of your face now. Because a lot of you are sitting there doing ha ha ha, but your face is like this. <laughs> now you're gonna put. If you don't feel like it, that's okay. Just remember, the process is, you have to surrender to this. Okay, so close your eyes everybody. I'll guide you. Okay, close your eyes. And now make that smile on your face, but a really marked smile. No, no, higher. Higher, man. <laughs> Come on, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Up. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't begun yet. Uh, okay. Open your eyes again. Open your eyes. So yeah, so so what you're doing is you're actually taking control of your physiology. That's what you're actually doing. Really. Like by doing this, you know, you're actually even if you don't feel like it, it's even better. Okay? Close your eyes again. Nobody's watching you, only I'm watching you. I'm recording. I'm not recording. But only I'm watching, okay? So close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now, big smile on your face. Bigger. Bigger. More marked. Yeah, that's okay, that's okay. Yeah, show your teeth, that's okay. Okay, one, two, three. And in your head. You begin laughing. Yes, yes, really. Big smile. Big, bigger. Big smile. Come on, you can do this. Bigger. Ha, 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 ha. Okay? In your head. In your head. You can do this. It's the best thing for your immune system that you can do. Bigger. Bigger. Ha, ha, ha. Just louder. In your head. Okay, continue. Don't stop. 20 seconds more. Continue. Ha, 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 ha. In your head. 
bigger. Put aside all your words. Put aside everything. Just focus on this. Okay? Smile. And in your head. Ha, 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 continue. Okay, take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. And you can open your eyes. Starring, isn't it? Starring to be happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, what you're actually doing is, again, you're overriding your internal dialogue. That's what you're doing. It takes a lot of prana to do this. So if you're ever feeling down, you can actually just sit down. <laughs> it works. Gets you out of your head. Okay? All right. One more time. Close your eyes. But this time it's going to be a little bit different. Close your eyes. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Deep inhale again. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Close your eyes. And now remain there with your eyes closed. Sit up straight. Now you're going to open your mouth. Open your mouth. Open your mouth wider. Wider. Imagine somebody's feeding you cake. <laughs> open your mouth wide. And with your mouth open, you're going to go loud. Ha, 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 ha. Come on, everybody. Refers to Hari, which is God, which is Krishna. 
Okay, also has got a deep meaning. But we'll focus on laughter for the time being. Okay? One more time. <laughs> We're going to take this further. Huh? I'm going to take this a little bit further every time. Okay? This time, your laughter has to be ridiculous. <laughs> yes. So give up all these ideas that you have that it has to be proper. Imagine being five years old. You know, when you were five, how did you laugh? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't care less what people thought of you. You walked around, you walked around more free, more detached. You couldn't care less. Now you have to laugh in a particular way. Now be ridiculous. Okay? Welcome the ridiculous. Be a little bit more free. Be playful. <clears throat> okay? And now I love your sweating cold right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's okay. Close your eyes. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. One last time. Deep inhale. <laughs> and one, two, three, begin. Laugh in a Thank you. 
This next one is really going to get you out of your zone. It's going to get you out of your head. But it's good. It's actually good, okay. So close your eyes. Close your eyes. Take care. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Just be here in the present moment. Okay. And what you're going to do in the next one, you're going to become even more free. You're going to give up, you know, all this desire of approval. You're not going to be afraid of being ridiculous. You're not going to be afraid of people judging you. Okay, so close your eyes. So this is your intention, okay? Let it go. Let it all go. When you let it all go, there's prana inside of you. Okay? You'll access your prana. So this is your next practice. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. This you have to do with your eyes closed. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Deep inhale again. And then again. This is your intention. Be free. Put everything aside. Stuff everything. Be here in the moment. Don't worry about anything. Especially don't worry about what people think of you. Okay? You're going to put this aside. Okay? This is your intention. Good. So what I'm going to... Close your eyes. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to call out your name. And you're going to laugh out alone. Okay? So you're going to go... <laughs> However you're going to laugh. And then everybody's going to respond. <laughs> Okay, so get ready, take a deep inhale. I know a lot of you are sweating right now. <laughs> so the whole idea of this exercise is you put it, you put all that aside. You don't care. Actually, you don't care. Okay, it doesn't have to be a pretty laugh, it doesn't have to be a beautiful laugh. It just be ridiculous, be childish, be free, don't care. <laughs> Take a deep inhale. <laughs> Exhale. Feel that prana. Feel that energy within you. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Be still. Okay. We're going to go. So, this is the process. You will laugh out loud with your own voice. And we're all going to respond. Okay? So take a deep inhale again. Good. We'll begin. Mitch. <laughs> now you respond. <laughs> Good. Then.
intentionally feel prana in your body. You have laughed, you have let go, you have walked around free. Feel the prana that is in your body. <coughs> and if you believe in God, you believe in Krishna, feel the prana that comes from God. Feel the prana that comes from the divine. 
exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Then again, feel the prana that is in your body. Be still. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Raise your arms above your head. Feel more strength. Two. Feel more strength. 
our strength. Four. Feel even stronger. take a journey we're going to take a journey of love and in this journey of love we're going to take we're going to put some forgiveness close your eyes take a deep inhale exhale Take a deep inhale. Exhale. So first we're going to take a journey into our inner child. So take a deep inhale again. Exhale. you to in your mind this, you do all this in your mind you're going to in your mind you're going to get up only in your mind we're going to open the door and you're going to get out of this room You're going to walk upstairs on the stairs. 
every step that you give, every step that you climb up, it's going to be a step of gratitude. You're going to feel grateful for all the blessings that life has given you, for all the blessings that Krishna has given you. Climbing up. Climbing up. And you're going to reach the dining hall. And you're going to stand outside the dining hall. And you're going to listen to a lot of laughter. There's a lot of laughter, there is a lot of play. A lot of joy inside the dining hall. It's like a party is going on. You open the door and you're going to see the dining hall is full of children. And they are laughing it up. It's a birthday party. They look at you coming in and they welcome you. They want you to come in. They say, hey, come, come, please, play with us, sing with us, laugh with us. So go inside the dining hall. And look at all the boys and girls just laughing. They are eating their favorite food, their favorite desserts. And they are celebrating someone's birthday party. And they are soaking their laughter. Soaking their joy. You see, in a table, in the middle of the room, there is the boy or the girl whose birthday everyone is celebrating. He or she is surrounded by all the friends. They are calling you. sit at the table and you're going to see that boy and that girl he or she is five years old and it is you Celebrating your five year old birthday party. Look at yourself. How happy you are. 
like a deep inhale. Look at yourself when you were five years old. You're in the middle there wearing your birthday crown. Surrounded by your favorite foods. And you're just feeling grateful. About life. So now all the children are going to turn to you. And they're going to ask you what birthday, what birthday gift have you brought for him or for her? Take a deep inhale. Exhale. You're going to get up from your chair. Everyone's looking at you with a smile on their face. You're going to go to the five-year-old boy or the five-year-old girl's chair, that is you. You're going to kneel down in front of him or in front of her. He or she is going to look at you in your eyes and look at her smile, look at his innocence, look at how happy he or she is to see you. A deep inhale. Exhale. And he or she is going to ask you, or she's going to tell you, he or she's going to tell you, you didn't have to bring me a gift. Just the fact that you're here. Is the biggest gift for me. And look at the way he or she is smiling at you. Just happy, happy that you're present. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. And you're going to tell him or tell her. Look into her eyes, look into his eyes. And you're going to tell him, tell her. I haven't brought you a material gift. But I brought you this gift. I brought, brought you the gift of unconditional love 
Look at her. Look at him. How he or she smiling. Now you're gonna look into her eyes, his eyes, and you're going to say this. I want to make you a promise. And this is a promise I will never break. I will always love you. No matter what happens in your life. No matter what you do. No matter what mistakes you make, no matter what dark paths you walk, look into the child's eyes, feel all the strength of your heart, and with all the strength of your heart, tell that child, I will always Love you. Always. Look at her smile. Look at his smile. Like a deep inhale. Feel that strength of your heart. Take the child in your arms. Pick her up, pick him up. Raise him higher, raise her higher. Look at all the kids, everybody's celebrating. Screaming, everybody's clapping. The child smiling. And again, with all the strength of your heart, you tell him, tell her, I Take a deep inhale, 
Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Now the child is going to ask you in the sweetest, most innocent voice, what if I do something really, really bad? still love me. Stay strong. You feel the strength of your heart. And you tell the child, yes. Not only will I still love you, I will love you even more. the child is going to tell you but I did something bad you must punish me and you're going to say no I will love you even more my love for you is unconditional Inhale, exhale. And the child is going to ask you, but why? Why will you still love me? You're going to reply because God's love is unconditional. Life's love is unconditional. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. So just stay there for a few seconds. Feel the strength of your heart. doesn't matter what happens, that love is not going to be shaken. Stay there and make sure that that child knows he or she will always be forgiven. Make sure that, promise her that, repeat that with all your strength. Stand up straight, sit up straight, like a deep inhale, this requires strength, to give that love requires a lot of strength, if you believe in God, if you believe in Krishna, he will give you all that strength that you need, you stand solid there, no matter what happens, you're never going to abandon that child, no matter what happens, you're not going to reject him, reject her. Never. 
you will always find God's forgiveness. And you will always find the lesson behind. Always. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. And one more time, you tell that child, no matter what happens, I will always, always love you. Stay strong with that. Look at all the other children. They are clapping now when you said that. When you say, I will always love you, everybody's clapping. Everybody's screaming and laughing. Yeah. Yes. Good. And you're going to tell the child, I'm going to leave the room now, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to ever leave you. Of course, he or she smiling. You're going to open the door, the dining hall. Everybody's waving at you. Everybody's thanking you for coming. You're going to close the door. With a happy heart, you're going to start climbing down the stairs. Now you're going to put your hands into prayer position. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. Take a deep inhale again. Exhale. Climb the first stairs. And while climbing the first stairs, you're gonna make this promise to yourself. I will never abandon myself. And you're gonna climb the second stairs. I will never reject myself. Never. Climb the third stairs. I will never judge myself. I will learn from my lessons. I will be an eager student of life. But I will never ever reject myself. You're going to climb the fourth stairs. And you make yourself this promise. I will always be grateful for all the love that God has given me. I will always be grateful for all the love that life has given me. I will always, always be grateful for all the love that I have received in my life. 
they may have. And just feel all that gratitude in your heart. Just feel it more. Smile. Laugh. Be free. Connect with your spirit. Connect with God. Connect with Vishnu. Be grateful. Surrender. Life is temporary. It's unpredictable. But this is how you're going to live your life. With a heart full of gratitude. A heart full of acceptance. And a heart full of forgiveness. Now you just climb all the stairs. Jump. Be happy. Come to the door. Open the door. Come into the yoga hall. Have a seat. Sit down. Smile. Take a deep inhale. And again, be grateful for everything that life has given you. Can you stand up? Stand up now, physically. Close your eyes. Take a deep inhale again. Just remember this. Doesn't matter what happens. Whether you are in pain or whether you are in joy. Everything is for your progress. Everything is so that you can connect with your soul. Everything is so that you can detach yourself. Everything is so that you can connect with God, so that you can serve, you can surrender everything. Take a deep inhale. Everything, every pain that you have in life, every hurt that you have in life, everything, you make a decision. You're grateful. You're grateful for the good times. And you're also grateful for the bad times, for the challenging times. And again, you're grateful for being surrounded by people in a community that are looking for the same. There is no greater gift that life gives you than the gift of a good company. Take a deep inhale. Exhale and take a moment to reflect on that. There is no greater gift. So take a deep inhale. Exhale. Open your eyes.
Look for somebody else. Be proactive. Feel that gratitude in your heart. someone else. And you can return to your seats now. You can return to your seats. You close your eyes again for a few seconds. Take a deep inhale. Exhale. promise to yourself that your mistakes will be your best teacher.
say here? And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So self-forgiveness means it's not that you deny your mistakes, you recognize them. But you see them as your best teachers, not as a punishment. You don't use them for punishing yourself. And you let go. You don't cling to it. When you do that to yourself, if you do this to yourself, if, if that is the attitude that you have towards yourself, after some time you will be able to have that attitude towards others too. And when you have that attitude towards others, everything changes. Everything. Well, I suggest now you don't Think about this too much now, don't go to your bed and just go on and just when you walk out this room, you just stop and get on with your life. You've done this, it's okay. Don't don't write anymore, don't search for more, don't try to do more. It's enough. You may have some drink, your subconscious mind may stir something in you. You may have some, you know. That's alright. Don't get scared. That's okay. Okay. That's it. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.